0: Alright ladies and gents, this is your man El Jamal, and you are back listening to Never Out of Bounds, and I'm coming through on your Wednesday, and you know like I always do, I break the news down for everybody and let's get it started with the world in the street and Trump was recently at the UN General Assembly uh, and the UN General Assembly is held every year at the UN headquarters in New York City and all the foreign uh, diplomats who are involved in the UN including the United States come together they discuss general topics uh, you know pertaining to international measures you know whether it be finance you know social so on and so forth and uh, Trump was was scheduled to speak yesterday and he definitely caused quite a stir now in his speech he highlighted uh america first and pretty much ending globalism and he also called out iran and other people that america wasn't getting along with at, the, at this time including uh including China, and he also went in to kind of praise North Korea a little bit for, quote unquote, trying to uh, disarm their nuclear arsenal. We all know that's not really the case, but anyways, uh, one of the biggest quotes that he had, and this this quote here caused the biggest reaction in the crowd, but he said, in less than two years, my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. And, you know, as soon as he said it, all the world leaders there kind of looked at each other. You can kind of tell that they weren't feeling it. And they kind of laughed at him. Uh, You can hear some slight chuckling. I myself immediately thought back to that's not true because I immediately thought back to things like the Emancipation Proclamation, the New Deal. Uh, I also think about the ending of private privatized prisons under the Obama administration, um, just just various other oh the Civil Rights Act under Kennedy or actually Lyndon B. Johnson, excuse me. So I'm thinking about a lot of different stuff done in other different eras that are more pertinent than the two than only the two percent tax cut that uh you and I the working class get. That's pretty much one of the bigger things Trump has done. But other than well, and I wouldn't even say significant as in terms of importance, but just something that he did, and um, I'm I'm not I'm not really you know feeling that comment. I don't think it's true, and you we can argue, we can definitely argue because he hasn't done more than anybody else, even even uh, Bush. On the negative aspects, you know, but he, you know, on the negative end, but at least he, you know, he oversaw what happened with nine eleven, and at least went on the offensive front in terms of going after terrorism. So at least you have that there. Trump has hasn't really done anything significant in his term, in my opinion. But then again, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not of his constituency. Remember, we're not of his cont- constituency. So you and I don't really matter. But uh, you could tell Trump had an issue with, you know, the laughter and just kind of the reaction he and he goes with his the next statement. He goes directly. I didn't expect that reaction, but that's OK. And you know he he goes back into his smug mentality, and you can kind of tell that there is some tension between him and other world rulers uh, for obvious reasons and he goes on to claims that he goes on to claim that multilateral institutions such as the u n the u n excuse me threaten American freedom. Now, he really wouldn't go into why, you know, exactly why, but he just, you know, said, you know, really vague uh, comments, referring to just, you know, ending globalism, um, pushing, you know, more of a nationalistic uh, mindset. And see, that's and that's a movement that's not only growing here, uh, but in various other parts of Europe amongst the far right or they're just right wing conservatives as well. It's more of a nationalistic. Uh, nationalism uh, state of mind where they keep out foreigners, where they push, you know, the more dominant, I would say the dominant race, which would be the white, the white male. So that's pretty much what you're working with. Now, globalism, it has its own evil, its own evils, excuse me, uh, probably, I'm pretty sure it does, but you know, it's pros and cons. Uh, but I'll get back more into that in a second about how I feel about that. Uh, He traded some verbal attacks with the uh, prime, uh, I would say the prime minister of Iran, uh, Rouhani. And uh, he said a couple things claiming that Iran, Iran's government is corrupt, which, you know, all countries have drama. But as far as I know, there's nothing, you know, that I know that points them out to say they're more corrupt than anybody else. Uh, There's plenty of shady stuff that goes on in our government as we can tell. So for us to, you know, that's pretty much calling the kettle black in my opinion. So we have, when you have your own president being accused of colluding with other foreign entities, I call that corruption. You have a president that's paying off hoes to keep them silent and it's not working because they won't be silent. I call that corruption. So you call what Iran's doing corruption i call that corruption i i don't see a difference so i don't see why he had to feel the need to go there also he uh got on he got on Iran's involvement with militant groups such as uh well militant groups such as ISIS and uh many of these groups are located in Syria, Libya and Yemen and we all know about serious issues with both the United States and Russia so i think you know the United States is trying to flex some muscle that's what this administration wanted to do. <clears throat> it's not necessarily be a big, bad bully, but they wanted to, to project the image of, a, of the tough guy. They figured Obama didn't do enough of that, and they wanted to bring that back. <clears throat> now, Rouhani uh, responds back with, confronting multilateralism is not a sign of strength. Rather, it is a symptom, of a, a symptom of a weakness of intellect. It betrays an inability in understanding a complex and inter- interconnected world that quote my opinion blows away anything Trump said that is a logical uh impactful statement and uh what and what's funny is because just the what I can take from this quote what trump And what the right wing claims to be going on in Iran, or claims to be of the Iranian people, to me, or Iranian people, claim, I I think it's false. With this quote here, Uh, multilateralism is important. I'm not saying that we all need to be globalistic and all one world and one race. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think we do need to, uh, at you know, I think we should embrace our differences. Should embrace. Even our national uh, origin, that's fine, too. Uh, But I also think we should always do business with each other. We should always keep those those lines open of communication. It creates new ideas. It creates more more potential for earnings, more in turn, uh, more opportunity for job advancement for a lot of people. You know, everything. And, it, and you know it keep and I think it keeps the world at peace in all reality. It it's not about, you know, all working together and creating a whole now I, I think the the biggest uh fear tactic and the biggest propaganda the right wing does push when it comes to globalism is that everybody is gonna be one whole bank and one whole uh entity ran by one corporation or one entity, which might be an underlying issue. However, on the national side uh, if we can already see uh, the faults of that or what could be, you know, come about that, we obviously the dysfunction going on within our own right wing uh, side of things. And we already seeing, you know, uh, the liberals going through what they're going through. So I really truly believe that. Again, nationalism is fine on the sense of being able to distinguish yourself from others. And I think that's fine. Have national pride is fine. uh, But keeping you away uh, and keeping you cut off from the rest of the world, I don't agree with that. That's what happened with feudal Japan. They were isolated for many centuries and it held them back in a lot of ways. It holds you back. Uh, So I don't like again, I don't believe in the whole one one world government uh situation, even if it wasn't you know maybe it is the underlying uh you know thing these these liberals quote unquote are hiding or whatever whatever have you I don't agree with that part, but I definitely agree with international business international uh re- you know research initiatives all that again because I believe that that increases the peace being nationalistic being isolated it creates xenophobia it creates In my opinion, racism, because that's what it comes down to, at least in this country. And then actually in Europe, you see it as well. So don't 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 fool yourself. Nationalism. I'm not going to say it's hand in hand with racism, but it's definitely one of those underlying uh, aspects within it. So don't don't kid yourselves. Um, So I really like that comment. It was really well structured. I think he's a forward thinking uh, leader that. Might not get a whole lot of credit because his country as a whole is struggling, but they 've had many you know issues and situations in which they were manipulated outside with by outside powers, and that stunted them too, including the u s and the u s gets involved with a lot of different countries' politics and how they get down. If you were to look at your history and that's why, you know, I wanted to bring, you know, bring to you guys an argument of nationalism and globalism. Uh, Globalism is, of course, is international commerce, so on and so forth. Nationalism, like I said, is more domestic, more focused on home. I think and I personally think that you can make a mix of both. Uh, You can you can definitely have a strong home front and still be doing business and still creating opportunities uh, with other countries, I think it's it's not a it's not a sellout move. Uh, I think it's a smart money move. Uh, and they've been doing this and the real merchants have been doing this for centuries. And that's why they've been able to develop their own classes by doing world business. So uh, for them to shut us down, for them to shut it down and keep it closed minded means that they definitely the powers that be the 1% in this country want to control everything. They want to control your access to any and everything that could empower you. I don't like, and that's what I don't like about American nationalism. So uh, let's get into some more news. And and I wanted to uh, talk more about the tariff war just a little bit because I finally got some evidence as to how it's going to affect the common consumer, meaning you and I. Now, Walmart has officially sent out a letter to the officer of the United States Trade Representative. In this letter, they said that the tariffs would bring higher prices to all their uh, in all their stores. And uh, here's a quote here. This round of tariffs could impact a significant number of consumer items that are not easily replaceable. Now, uh, these are common everyday household items, uh, for example, high chairs, car seats, things that you You know, the regular working class consumers would need to buy. Uh, And it's not necessarily certain industries or certain uh, companies that are being uh, taxed. Like I said, it's the it's the actual product, the actual products that they are selling. So and also in terms of computer hardware, uh, Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi modems, Wi-Fi, you know, routers, excuse me, um, uh, computer modems, hardware, anything coming from that country is going to be significantly higher in price and consumers will definitely be suffering uh walmart has already talked about this uh target i've also heard some information that target uh my experience some price hikes as well so all these consumer play because you got to remember a lot of these places are selling foreign uh electronics uh foreign goods uh, that's just, just how it is it was a it was a in my opinion it was a trick Sorry, it was it was done as a trick. It sound it sound good to say, oh well China's doing this, that and the other. We're gonna make we're gonna make them pay us some more money, but guess who else is gonna pay them some more money? You and I, obviously. We're gonna have to pay them more money too. That helps them out, obviously. Uh they need our cash, but you know hey, that's that was significant. Remember this guy uh has is the most significant president that we've had. That's what he's telling us. But yet and still his tariff battle is gonna have us paying more for items that we shouldn't, you know, than probably ever before, depending on how uh how China might wanna take this so uh this is not a this is we we have not achieved too much of anything uh in fact we've taken a step back because also i wanted to put this in there too because this is important i need you guys to to hear this out too in the carolinas the repairs uh for hurricane florence are basically being slowed down because of the expensive lumber prices due to the tariffs. So they can't even rebuild after. And, and, and you know, you want to talk about gentrification. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, displacing populations and just maltreatment of, you know, the lower classes and just the common folk. This is your example right here. There's nothing that you could, you guys could tell me to, to to say that he gives a damn about you. They can't even re- rebuild homes. That's a whole group of people that have to move. I wouldn't be surprised if he brought some Russians over there. Now, I'll tell you. Oh, they don't tell you about. Oh, well, we won't tell you. They they haven't told you about how he was doing a whole bunch of real estate deal with all the Russian uh, top business tycoons. huh? You don't know how he he sold a whole bunch of flo- uh, Florida homes out there. And that's who swung the election. They don't tell you that in the real news. They don't. They don't even tell you that in CNN. They don't tell you. That. They for sure don't tell you on Fox News. That's the real news. Fuck if he's a bad guy. Fuck if he fucked some hoes. We all fuck hoes. All the whole And if they, you know, she's a nasty, bitter hoe. She gonna talk shit about you. We all know about that. Let's talk about the real shit. Yeah, he was. He was. He was basically selling, you know, million dollar homes to Russian business tycoons in swing state areas. But apparently. They can't rebuild for the regular people, the regular Americans in this country because of his tariffs. Come on now. Y'all need to stop trying to fool me. I'm not going to be a hate. My mom, one thing my grandma always taught me, and I call her my mom because she actually raised me. One thing she taught me was that hate is a strong word. So I'm never going to actually say I hate the man. I can't say that. It doesn't feel right with me. But I don't fuck with, I for sure don't fuck with the man's politics. And you got to be a fool to be anybody not in a corporate position. And I mean, CEO, CFO, COO. If you're not in one of them positions, it's class warfare. Okay. Open your eyes up. They don't even want you to rebuild your homes after the hurricane hit. Get the fuck out of here. Okay. Don't, don't, don't come to me telling me this is about America first. when you can't even rebuild in the motherfucker. Well, you won't be able to afford hot car seats and go on the internet oh but this is this is this is what we all about america first come on well people that look like me still getting shot in the streets so i don't feel included that's our and no i don't need nobody to take no more knees for that i want action that's why i'm here to talk to you Are we, i'm trying to if it's not going to be me, then one of us going to have to. Like Tupac said, I might not change the world. But I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I'm going to inspire somebody to do that. So, come on. Somebody fuck this dude. Fuck these politics anyways. Uh, One last story. We're going to end this up on a, another somber note. Bill Cosby was sentenced to 3 to 10 years for sexual assault. He is, he is 81 years old. And this is the quote from the judge. I wanted to you know i wanted to highlight this so we can so i so you guys can know just kind of how the system views us and uh and well you know and, and it's i don't even think it's just us meaning black men but i think it's a sign of the time especially with the me too movement and it's a, and i feel like there's an extra when people want to you know when they want to make these uh you know cynic scenes and all that but anyways the quote is here fallen angels suffer the most and you know it just it just puts so much out there and i just think it's unfortunate because in my opinion i think from what i know that this is hollywood this is how they get down in hollywood they come together. They have these little rambunctious parties all the time. They have all types of sex. They have all types of drugs, alcohol. This is real shit. We know how they get down. And you want to know how, how we know that? Because guess what? We even as regular people, our regular basic asses do the same thing. shit. We turn up. We go to all random type of shit. We have random types of sex with different people. We maybe even experiment with different drugs. This is, this is, this is, uh, you know, crazy. And, uh, well he, you know, he, you know, he assaulted and drugged a lady by the name of Andrea, Andrea constant. This is what he's going to jail for. This is all what they said in law in the law book. Right. And she's a former temple university employee. And she is also said to be, um, uh, somebody that he mentored. Now I don't want to be sexist and I don't want to be that type of guy. But when I think of a relationship between an older man and a younger woman, and I'm just gonna be honest, he had I know he has some type of money. I'm sorry, I think there's sex and there's money being exchanged. Sorry, I already know that off top. The sorry. There's nothing that de- I'm sorry, I know it might hurt a lot of women's feelings. I'm sorry. I I'm gonna be honest with you. I'll give you. I I'm gonna be honest with you. I'll take it down just to be a little bit nice. I say seven times out of ten, that's the issue. But I don't. I I wouldn't want to date somebody that was dealing with an older man like that. I might want to have sex with her, sure, if she was down to you know do it. But I wouldn't want to date her. I don't. I don't deal with friends. If it's not your brother or somebody that I you if you comfortable with it, you know introducing to me personally. I don't. I I don't trust that dude. Sorry. Can call it insecure, okay, fine. I call it you being a slut. And I'm sorry, that's that I know for a fact because that's how those relationships grow. Again, this occurred fifteen years ago. Why are we waiting? Why are we waiting fifteen years? You know what should be part of the Me Too movement too, if they want us to take it serious. One thing I do want them to start doing, is saying this too. When something happens, immediately say something. Don't ever wait ten or fifteen years. Don't wait a minute. You need whatever you need to call, whoever you need to run. Let somebody know that this happened. Don't wait. Don't wait. And y'all need to encourage that, please, women communicate with each other we need to let people know exactly when and details and do the rape kit we not waiting 15 that ain't fair for nobody i'm sorry and don't give me that all she was really really but she was she was comfortable enough to be a a, a, to have him as a mentor for so many years come on come on And, and it was never a situation with drugs or sex involved please no see see that's not right that's not I don't I don't fuck with that shit either. Just like I don't fuck with rape, I don't fuck with waiting around to wait to tell. If it happened to you, say it. First time I got around some people that I trusted, I opened my mouth and said, Hey, somebody touched me where they shouldn't have been touching me. And it was a rap. I never went back to that place again. Sorry. I understand. Oh, you know, and and I think sometimes you know, sometimes especially in a situation where it's a family member, it might be you know a tad bit difficult just because there's that family dynamic. Ah, okay, but in this day and age, I don't want to. I don't. No, no, no. We're saying it right away. If you want my, if you want my help as a man, if you want our support as men, then you need to be upfront right away. No bullshit. This is what happened. I didn't like it. Okay, then whoever whoever means to the man that means something to you, whether it be your father or your brother, will handle it. Your boyfriend handles it. We that's how we doing that. You want our you really want our support? Then be honest with it. Just like with the Kavanaugh case, and uh, one thing I will I will say is the publicist Andrew White for uh, Cosby. He also uh, wanted to bring those two cases together, and. Again, I don't agree with Kavanaugh's politics. I don't, uh, I think he's, you know, like I said, I'll just keep it at that. I don't really agree with his politics. But again, I'm not with the fact that we're waiting from 1983 to 2018, 2018 to say something about something like rape. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I There's There's a statute of limitations for this. I believe in that. I'm sorry. I believe in the stat because obviously, obviously, if it didn't affect you then, well, how does it affect you now? I'm sorry. If it meant something, you should have let it all out. Should have let the authorities know and have them deal with it then. And uh, you know, for Kavanaugh's situation, like I said, I don't, I don't like his politics. I, I sure as hell don't. Uh, but. I'm not with waiting 15 years or 25 years to expose him or 30 years to expose him. I'm not with that either. Now, uh, originally in the Cosby case, the prosecutors didn't want to press charges. Uh, this is back in 2004 because they didn't have enough evidence. Wow. So a lawsuit was settled for $3.4 million. So she got paid again after she was already getting paid. Trust me. He was, he was giving her some ends. While they was kicking it, believe me, you don't believe me. You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. He was hitting those and he was paying for those. So, so he was a trick. And I'm gonna get into some more about how I feel about all that trick shit in a second, because I don't like that shit either. Um, of course, there was a couple uh retrials uh, it was a mistrial, I believe, at one point, but the most recent allowed for the testimony five new women who weren't even related to this case, but just allowed them to talk and share their experiences, you know, whether or not they were true, whether or not they were really great, you know, hey. But I do know for a fact about that that casting couch in Hollywood. I've had an actor. Now, of course, he wasn't, you know, superstar, you know, A-list, celebrity, you know, you could point him out. But I I know actors and actresses that have told me about how it goes. down. actually, I've had people involved in the music industry tell me similar situations. Oh, yeah. So it goes down. It, oh, it goes down. And this is what leads me to my final part about this. All you brothers with money, you're not just brothers, white men all you guys in a situation where you have some power A&R agents or just, you know, guys in general. If you want to be a freak, be a freak. Be open about it. Hey, I get down. Whether that be you gay, bisexual, you like transgender, there's, you know, hey, there's anything you like. You could just like hoes. That's cool, too. I think what got Bill Cosby caught up is is he wanted to be, you know, the, the clean cut dad. And obviously, you know, there's black men that are really like that, of course. That's not to say that you know that doesn't exist. But people in Hollywood knew who he really was. Especially when he decided to get out and, you know, do some other things and speak out. And he wanted to be the, the anti stop sagging your pants, you know, and name get American name, you know, referring to us black folk. I and mean, you know he wanted to be one of those black people that switched up sides and wanted to be more conservative, which hey, whatever. But all you all you cats. Be careful with these women. I keep telling you, man. If, if you about that, if you, you know you're trying to get down, you're trying to be a freak, just let it be known. And if she ain't with it, go away. The minute she says, I ain't feeling it, she starts giving you the shaft in some way. Go away. Drop it. She's not worth it. She's not worth it. She's not worth the jail time. She's not worth the money in terms of a lawsuit. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. If you really want to hold, go go. you know where to go i know they shut List down in the back page i know but it sucks but you know where you can still go there's there's alternatives you should i would fuck hoes if you really feel that i would i would just go after hoes i wouldn't even fuck with these regular women go after Strips and just call it a day this is what it is don't hide it by by trying to go with the waitress you just want to get some people like tiger woods called they want to go with the waitress Please don't get caught up with the waitresses. Get caught up with the, with the the house. I mean with the housekeeping. Kobe, the fuck, no, just go to the hoes and just call her today. They ain't gonna tell on you unless you really fuck them over. You play about their money. They'll do whatever you want them to do. You gotta convince them to do nothing. You can leave. They want you. Matter of fact, someone will want you to leave. Depending on who you are. Just get going. We done. Don't get caught up with this stupid shit. Because that's what it seems like a lot of women want you to do. Don't fall for that trap. All right, y'all. We're going to take our first break for the day. And when we come back, we're going to talk some NFL. Uh, We're going to talk some, uh, well, I just got one big thing to talk about. And that's the State of the Union for my Raiders. I'm going to talk a little bit about them. Go in on them for a little bit. And uh, tell you how I feel about them finishing up this season. So, I'll be right back. All right, so we back. And like I said, I got some award races for the MLB to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about some more Cy Young candidates tonight, starting with the AL. And uh, let's start off with Edwin Diaz of the Seattle Mariners. He's currently pitching at a 202 ERA. Uh, He has an 120 to 16 strikeout to walk ratio. He actually has 120 uh, strikeouts right now. And he has 56 saves. And before I get any further, he is a relieving pitcher. And he could be the first reliever to win since 1992. So definitely, he's definitely in the mix. Uh, We also got Corey Clark of the Cleveland Indians. He has a 2.83 ERA, so a little bit higher than Edwin, but again, he's a starter, so he's gonna get a, he's gonna see a significant more amount of time. Uh, he has he has a, a AL lowest the AL lowest amount of walks, uh, 1.4 walks per game. Uh, he also has a 20 and seven record. And he's a two-time winner of the Cy Young. Know, uh, he won in 2014 and 2017. Although his uh, although his numbers this year aren't as high as they are uh, the other two years, so there's there's a chance that he doesn't do that well in terms of final voting. But uh, off to the NL, uh, we got Kyle Friedland from the Colorado Rockies. He has a two uh, two point eight four ERA. Uh, he has 169 strikeouts. Uh, he has 16. Uh, he has a record of 16 and seven, which is the Fourth best in the NL, and uh, he's on the well. He is currently fighting with the Dodgers right now for uh, the top spot in the NL, uh, West, which, which would ensure uh, he gets a playoff spot. Although last night uh, he was able, the Rockies were able to secure up a win against the Phillies, uh, allowing him to get that second card spot. So uh, if they're able to get to the playoffs, look for that to definitely boost his profile. Uh, we also got Aaron Nola, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. He has a 16-6 record, a 2.5. Four or five era, and his wins uh, above uh, sorry replacement is nine point eight, which is the top, which is the best in the NL. And the wins above replacement is basically a player's value. Let's say if he goes down injured, uh, if you know so if he's replaced, definitely if he's replaced, uh, what's that value? And basically, uh, if you have a a, a value of six point seven or nine point eight, uh, basically you contribute to about. You are responsible for at least nine of your team's wins. Without you, your team could very well lose nine games. So for him, since his uh win above replacement is about nine of uh, nine point eight, he is accountable for at least nine, almost ten wins, uh, just by him, you know, being there, uh, helping his team out, uh, starting or not or starting, uh, starting. So if he gets a starting uh shot on the mound, what I'm saying is, um. Uh, you know, he's in the mix to help them win at least nine games uh, a year. Or if he's not, what I mean also is if he's not around uh, in that stretch, they're probably going to lose a lot of those games as well, too. Now, in terms of the MVP, we got a couple – uh AL candidates here. We got JD Martinez, the defensive uh, sorry, the designated hitter for the Red Sox. He has 41 homers, uh, which is second most in the AL next to Chris Davis of the Oakland A's. He has the best average in the AL, though. He has a 328 and he also has a 1.023 offensive percentage, which means he's getting on base, he's getting runs, and he's also uh, hitting a lot of RBIs as well. So Even when those home runs are not necessarily a lot of them aren't necessarily even solo home runs. They're uh, two runs or even three run homers. Um, he also leads the league, like I said, in RBIs uh, with 124. Then we got Jose Ramirez, third baseman from the Cleveland Indians. He has a nine uh, a .952 offensive percentage. He has 38 homers and 30 steals, and he is a. Def- this is the first 30 30 se- 30 season, and the 30 30 season is 30 homers, 30 steals. This is the first one of those seasons that's happened in the AL since 2012 with your boy Mike Trout who I talked about uh, about a couple days ago and he has the third most RBIs in the AL with One hundred and three. Now off to the NL MVP candidates. We got a couple more here. We got Matt Carpenter, first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He has a nine eleven offensive percentage. He has thirty six homers, which is the most in the NL. He also, but the thing about it is, his offense has been taking a a slight dip. He is, uh, he is currently at a, a. 0.561 0.561 offensive percentage this month. So not doing super great. That could uh n- knock him down a little bit. However, he his team is also in the playoff mix. Uh they they took a couple L's. They might well, they just got knocked out of the second wild card spot uh by the Rockies, like I said. Uh, but they're still in contention for that. There's still a possibility that they can match up uh with Milwaukee, and if they're able to get to that game again, look for that. Look for uh, Carpenter's value to go up a little bit for helping out on that end. Now uh, we also got Javier Baez, an infielder for the uh, Cubs. He's a jack of all trades. He can play shortstop. Uh, Second base and third base Uh, and he's currently he currently has a hundred and ten RBIs, which is the most in the National League. He also has 34 homers and 21 steals and he has a six point one uh, win. Uh win above replacement average which is third in the NL now off to the rookies of the year starting with the NL uh, we got Brian Anderson third baseman for the Marlins he has a two two uh, 272 average 356 on base percentage which is pretty good uh, he which means he hits the ball for a pretty decent average. He can also get on base as well. Uh, he's also had 652 plate appearances in 152 games, which means he's getting a lot of chance to get his offense out there, a chance to keep that average uh, decent high about the 270s. And you want to hit about a two set. If you want to be a, considered a decent hitter in the MLB, you want to be hitting about a 270 or higher. Uh, Also, the on-base percentage is pretty high, and that's where the plate appearances help out. So he's definitely getting a lot of, you know, Chance he's definitely getting a lot of pitches thrown his way, and he's learned a lot as the season goes along. Don't be surprised if he uh if his his if his hitting excuse me gets better within the next year. He's also at a three point seven uh win above replacement, which is pretty significant for a rookie. Although there's some uh rookies here uh that are a little bit higher we'll talk about those in a second we got also uh for the NL we got jack Flaherty, uh, uh pitcher for the cardinals he's at a 3.16 era and he's also standing at 179 strikeouts which is a high number especially for a rookie uh he's he's already um he already has more strikeouts than a, than a couple side young uh finalists too so he's going he's going to you know get better he has no he's only has only room to grow so uh moving on to the AL, we got second baseman joy window of the tampa bay rays he has a seven point i'm sorry a I- offensive percentage he also has a 4.5 win above replacement average so again he definitely contributes to his team on a daily night he's basically one of them one of the reasons why they're winning and by the way they've gone on a significant win streak there in the 80s now Uh, they were uh, in the 60s for the high 60s for a good mark the good part of a month but they were able to they've been going on, a, on some of a win streak and he's definitely a part of that like I said they're in the 80 win uh, category they're not necessarily gonna they're not they're definitely not gonna win their division but again it just kind of picked up their pace over the last part of the month and he's been you know definitely a part of that uh, also we got uh, I'm sorry, I don't know if I, if I can pronounce this right, but I'm going to try. Uh, we got Leigh Torres, second baseman for the New York Yankees. He has a .829 offensive, offensive percentage, excuse me, uh, 2.7, two point, I'm sorry, .276 um, average. And he also has 23 home run, runs on 114 hits. So he's definitely an offensive factor. He's definitely in the mix. And his team is on the verge of a playoffs or yeah, they're on the verge of going to the playoffs, so he's definitely going to get some high consideration for that. Also, we got some manager of the year can- uh, candidates. Starting with the NL, we got Craig Counsell of the Milwaukee Brewers. They're currently standing at 90 and 67. That is good enough for second in their division, but like I said, they've been on the um they've been on the Cubs heels for a good month or so. So, uh don't be surprised if they could they could take it on the last day. I really wouldn't I really wouldn't put that behind them. Again, they have a wild card spot already and they're doing all this on a 107 million dollar uh payroll. So, they don't really have the go-to, you know, all-stars that somebody like New York or LA would have. They're doing this and again, this it, you know, even with the wild card game, this would be the first time they've even touched or even sniffed at the postseason in over 10 years. So you've got to give them some love there. Also, we got uh, Joe Madden from the Cubs. Uh, he's currently leading the NL Central, and he's already one manager of the year three times. And uh, again, you know, the Cubs... I wouldn't say are an outright favorite to win the World Series, but they're definitely somebody that people aren't overlooking. They're definitely, you know, somebody that uh, people have probably paid in as going. Uh, So he's definitely going to get props for that. And in terms of the uh, A, we got Alice Cora of the Red Sox. Now he's had a great season. The Red Sox in general have had a great season. They broke their franchise record of 106 wins, and they also have 220 more a 220 more runs scored Than they have allowed So their offense is, is stupendous Their defense is really good as well And they currently recently won the ALE So there you go And then we also got Uh A.J. Hinch from the Houston Astros. They are sitting at 99 and 57. They currently lead the AL West by four and a half games. It's looking more and more likely that like they'll pull that out. So he has some high consideration there. Now let's get off into last night's scores. Uh, we got the Yankees beating the Rays uh, nine to two. Uh, Gary Sanchez he had a he had a decent game he's been under a lot of fire recently about his drive and just his abilities uh, but he had a he had four RBIs a three run homer and uh, Luis Severino gets the win he had five innings uh, seven strikeouts and two earned runs as far as the A's uh, uh, second baseman Brandon Lowe he had two RBIs and went three for three and their pitching they struggled today uh, they well struggled yesterday excuse me uh, Jacob Faria went for two innings had four hits and three earned runs, and Jalen Becks went for three innings, had four hits, and three earned runs. So, bad game for them. But we have the Braves, they were uh, they went out on top against the Mets 7 3. The Pirates beat the Cubs 6 to 0. Uh the Tigers beat the Twins 4 to 2. The Indians beat the Cubs 4 the uh I'm sorry, the uh White Sox beat the Indians 5 to 4. They came back from a 4-0 uh deficit. Uh, and the Brewers beat the Cardinals 12 to 4. Uh the Brewers they make their case for, you know, again, they're still challenging for that top spot. Uh, that would if they got that top spot, that would ensure that they made it. Uh, but they're definitely holding on to that wild card spot. Uh, the Rockies beat the Phillies ten to three. Uh, the Rockies scored five runs in the third inning. Uh, Nolan Arenado, uh, the one of the well one uh MVP candidate, and uh Gerardo Para hit RBI singles, and then David Dahl uh, out of out of the left field hit a two run home run. And as far as Philly goes, Abudah Herrera, uh, the center fielder, he had two hits in the RBI. And Vince Velasquez went for three innings, really struggled, uh, especially with that third inning. Uh, eight hits, six earned runs. And as far as the Rockies, like I reported before, they are they currently have the second spot in the wild card. So they have a shot. Uh, they currently uh, have a shot to make the playoffs. So so they played really hard last night. Uh, the Dodgers lose to the D-backs 3-4. Uh, the Mariners were able to beat the A's. uh, And the Mariners, excuse me, the Mariners were able to come out on top against the A's eight to five. So the A's take another lump. And uh, like I said, I pretty much am am certain that the Astros are going to pretty much win this AL West. But we'll take one last break, y'all. I wanted to break down this one last topic. I wanted to talk about M and Machine Gun Kelly going at it. Uh, You know, M... And got them bars, but we'll talk more about that in a second. All right, y'all. All right, y'all. And uh, I told you guys I wanted to take some time to address these Raiders for the State of the Union address. And um, here it is. My fellow members of the Raider Nation, we have slipped, we have fallen. We are currently zero and three, but we all know this. Fourth in the AFC West. With all that being said, we do have one upside at the moment. We are six in offense, four hundred yards a game, three hundred and two passing yards. But with that being said, it's only amounted to fifty-two points. We're last in defense. This has not changed. This has been the this has been the, the theme for the past few years. Regardless of who the coach has been. Uh, we only have three sacks as an entire team. But Khalil Mack himself, the guy that we traded away, he already has two sacks. I believe an interception. I think a fumble as well. A fumble recovery as well. Now, you know, with that being said, what I will say is I will play a little bit of devil's advocate and say, you know what, we are missing Khalil Mack. And you know, we would be helped out by him. But... It wasn't. It wasn't like he was. We were leading the league in defense with him anyway. So, even he couldn't help us here. He'd have a few sacks. Uh, he'd he'd help us get a few more sacks, maybe you know an extra turnover. But would that really make a difference? Would it make a difference when Derek Carr has regressed to the point of nine hundred thirty-six yards, two touchdowns, and five interceptions? Now, don't get me wrong, he's stoned for a lot of yards so far. He's uh, had some decent games in terms of numbers. But that touchdown-to-interception ratio, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Now, another bright spot that I will talk about is Marshawn Lynch. Uh, He has 173 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, He is averaging three and a half yards per carry, which isn't a lot. But, uh, of course, he's wearing down. He's an older guy. But, I still think you know he's he's working. He you know he's definitely helping. He's definitely putting us in position. Uh my issue is the rest of our running backs. I thought Doug Martin would come over and and help and help put some take some take some of the energy or well, at least help you know rest uh, Marshawn's legs, but that hasn't really helped. That hasn't really happened. He's only rushed for about 40 some yards average about two something yard two two points two yards to carry. That's not gonna work. Jalen Richard nowhere to be found. It's so cold because two years ago we were two to three years ago we were a team that could have could have shocked should have shocked something. And more and more I see that uh the day that Carr went out injured, that was an omen. I knew it. Somebody like Donald Penn, somebody who doesn't necessarily give up sacks like that, gave up that old gave up that play. And he hasn't really been right since he's been on and off and injured and he hasn't necessarily been playing up to his potential even when he's been out there. And I think the biggest thing right now is Amari Cooper. 13 catches, 142 yards, no touchdowns. No touchdowns. First round pick. And we traded away Michael Crabtree because what? He doesn't get along with the coach? Gruden, I love you, baby boy. I love you. You were the man back in 2002. This is 2018. Now, you do have some time on your hands. You have. You have 10 years to get this shit together. Now, I hope for your sake, you do. Because you if not, you will be the biggest waste of money an organization has ever made. And I hate to say it, but you will be. But I think what you're going to do is you're going to take your time this year and say, Well, fuck it. I'm here for the long haul anyways. There's nowhere I can really go unless I decide to go back to... You know, commentary. And if you loved commentary that much, you wouldn't have left it in the first place. Am I I right? So he's going to be in it for the long haul. And uh, which is why I think they should destroy and rebuild for Vegas. Uh, I would look for a replacement for Marshawn Lynch, either through free agency, possibly the draft. Uh, I'd be looking for a lot of. You know, a lot of defensive. Well, we have two first round picks, so maybe a defensive player, maybe a running back, uh, maybe all defensive if we really want to go there. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some good defensive talent on the free agent market. I get somebody with some experience. Uh, we need de- definitely need help everywhere. We need help on the defensive line. We need help on the line uh, with the linebacker core, and we definitely need help with our safeties in our secondary. Uh, so. Uh, this year, uh, my final prognosis is going to be five and eleven on the low end, uh, possibly four and twelve, and seventy nine on oh, seventy nine on the high end. Uh, they get a few wins; they're able to uh, get something going. But I, I don't see them getting a winning record this year. Uh, there's not enough production on their uh, front and running backs for it to be balanced. Uh, and Amari Cooper hasn't really shown me that he could be uh, the go-to guy, and it's a shame. And like I said, we need to be destroy and rebuild for Vegas. Uh, you know, uh, that means you know starting from scratch, uh, getting a whole revamped team. That's fine. Uh, I think we definitely need to do that. And I feel, and uh, you gotta remember, uh, you know, in terms of how I feel about the move to Vegas, you know, it kind of bumps. It kind it it it's, it's kind of it kind of bums me out because they're not local. I won't be able to just drive to a game or get on Bart if I don't feel like driving. Uh, but I was always a fan and, uh, well, at least since I really started liking football, I was a Broncos fan for a minute, but I really was intrigued by the Raiders. I was intrigued by the, the the staff, the players, just the history, the logo, uh, just the history, the Oakland history itself, because I, it hadn't even occurred to me at least, you know, three years into my fandom that they even moved to LA, but, you know, as a Raider fan, you have to know that coming into the game, this is a this is a team that has moved, and I was already under the assumption that it, you know, even as a fan going back to two thousand two, two thousand five, back in middle school, high school, uh, was at least on my back of my mind that they would move one day. Uh, I wasn't expecting Las Vegas. I was expecting L A. and that was that. You know, L A. would have been nothing for me. Uh, Vegas is still nothing for me. I mean, come on, the Vegas is just like a vacation spot for Bay Area cats. You know, this is nothing. I mean, if, as long as they're doing good, uh, which John should be trying to really make sure that this, is, you know, that happens, they should be fine. You know, every, I mean, it, you know, uh, there's, there's ebb and flow with every season, you know, not every season is going to be the greatest season. Of course, people want it more, uh, but I understand that this is a process, that there is a process with this at the same time. Uh, but, you know, as of now, it won't look that pretty, but. I I trust that Gruden will get it together uh by the time we go to Vegas. That's what I trust and uh I'm down with the move. Again, like I said, this is a team that I had to accept that they moved to a different city before uh right before I was born, uh actually right uh up until I was about f- 5 or 6 years old, they were still in LA. So, uh this, you know, you, you, it comes with the territory. And uh I always associated with them being a mover. And I always moved. I was on the move as a child, you know, moving around in terms of where I was living. So I got that. And I and I uh I embraced that. So uh, they remind me of a nomadic they just the symbol itself reminds me of a nomadic pillager, you know, nomadic pirate, you know, raiding the sea. So they move from port to port. So if they gotta move set up shot in Vegas, that's what they gonna do. They're gonna set up shot in Vegas and they're gonna bushwhack. You know the AFC West when they get their shit together. That's how I see it. They gonna that's gonna be their that's gonna be their tortuga. It wasn't it wasn't L A. It wasn't it wasn't in the Bay. It wasn't Oakland. Now it's gonna be in Las Vegas. Now we get to hang out over there. You know, we gonna kick it Jack Sparrow Jack Sparrow style in the desert. I don't give a damn. I love my team. You know, and I I love what they. Are about and I love you know the history I love watching them win and I love watching them when they lose That ain't gonna change I mean shit the majority of games to be honest with y'all watch on TV anyway so what difference is it gonna make for me anyway shit just a different scenery I'm gonna see a different stadium we're gonna see backdrops of the desert but imagine shootouts in the motherfucking desert for playoff spots I, I think it's beautiful It's the open west, the wild west. Vegas is an AFC West team. Come on, not like we moved to like Portland or something. I wouldn't want us to move to Portland. Vegas is popping enough for me. Come on, and sports gambling is legal? Come on, you think the Vegas teams are going to take L's anytime soon? Please bring baseball and basketball. Bring the Clippers out to Vegas. Shit, should I be a fan of them? Shit. You have a whole city of champions because sport, man don't play. Anyways, we're gonna take another break, and when I come back, I'm gonna get into these uh these uh sorry these MVP races and the Cy Young races for baseball. We also gonna go over last night's scores as well. Oh, and we also gonna go over some more end of the season awards too for baseball. So when we come back, that's what we are talking about. All right, y'all. All right, ladies and gents,
1: this is your man. I'm gonna wrap off this show for tonight, and as y'all and and, and as you guys well know. Uh, your man, Machine Gun Kelly, a.k.a. MGK, uh, recently dissed the OG Eminem. Uh This is, you know, some clap back to uh, Eminem's diss track on the new Kamikaze album. I will be uh, discussing that a little bit later on, uh, possibly this week. Uh, but for now, I just wanted to talk about the beef a little bit. And let's get into some backstory. Now, this beef goes back a few years uh, MGK was doing a radio, uh, interview on Shay45, which is Eminem's, uh, which is Eminem's radio station. And he said some comments referring to Haley, Eminem's daughter, that they were a little bit derogatory, you know. And at the time, she was underage, so that set Eminem off. Uh, but he didn't say anything right away, apparently. Uh, he waited and, uh, he, waited till this album, the Kamikaze album to say something and he also, you know, just a few other guys. Now MGK uh, took that, of course he took that to heart and he responded with his Rap Devil, which, you know, was a play on words to, you know, Eminem's claim to be a rap god and I thought the track itself was decent. Uh, he got at, you know, he he made his point uh, to Eminem, he, you know, stated his grievances, he felt like he's been blackballed, he's felt like he's definitely been mistreated. Uh, With that being said, you know, I kind of see where he's coming from. But at the same time, you don't talk about the man's daughter like that. And as far as M goes, you know, I would have, you know, I see where MGK is. You know, he makes sense. You know, he's like, you know, you could have said something about this years ago. You could have got at me a while ago. You know, you know, stop playing basically. And uh, and it's crazy because, you know, don't get me wrong. I thought I thought the track itself was banging. I like the beat. I even liked the auto tune on the chorus. You know, he talked about his whack ass track suits and shit like that. I, or at least you know, MGK talked about Eminem's whack ass track suits and shit like that. But uh, you know, I, you know, it was it was it was cool. But uh, Eminem brought it back down the level. Uh, he definitely you know proved to be the better MC. He's like, yeah, you might dress better, but you know, I rap better. So that's all that pretty much matters to me. And you know, Eminem stated his point. And with that being said, you know, I I like I like both bars from both rappers. I definitely think that uh, your boy Eminem got the got the best of the two. And one big thing that I kind of I found similarities with him uh, with this battle and the uh, battle between LL Cool J and Cannabis. This is at a time where, you know, you know, similar to the Cannabis uh, LL Cool J beef. You know, this was a time where, you know, Eminem was, you know, supposedly, you know, Fell off, or he wasn't as good, and it took something like an MGK, and it took him still being hungry about those comments that he made about his daughter, for him to want to, you know, get some fire under up under him, and I think it's good. I think you know every now and again you need that, and I think that's you know the same thing with LL when he was uh, beefing with Cannabis. Don't get me wrong, second round knockout is you know a great diss track, one of the best of all time. But don't sleep on you know Ripper Strikes Back, you know, and you know the OG, you know they always you know they got the last word and they're gonna they're gonna state their claim. And I pretty much think that you know Eminem handled business, and that's not to take away anything from Machine Gun Kelly, uh, but. You know, Eminem is also right. He hasn't, as, he, you know, MGK hasn't accomplished as much. He's not the accomplished MC that, you know, he wants to trash Eminem for kind of being, he wants to be cynic about it. But in all reality, he has accomplished way more than Machine Gun Kelly. But, you know, Machine Gun Kelly is still young. He has time. He, He, you know, in the song that I heard, you know, it was, I heard, I still heard Hunger. I heard somebody that wanted some respect. And I'll be, you know, he probably went the best. Well, what about the worst way to do it? But I get it. You know, he wanted to um, be taken seriously in the rap game. And uh, he was going to go out there, Eminem to do it. And he felt like he was being uh, blackballed, which I kind of don't agree with. Uh, Eminem just didn't want you on his show. That didn't mean you couldn't, you know, go anywhere else or talk about your albums any other place, but just not on Eminem's time or on Eminem's station. And you kind of got to deal with that. You did this the man's daughter. So, you know, I'm not mad. You know, I think. Like I said, I think Eminem handled it. Uh, you know, except with the, the aspect of waiting, I probably wouldn't wait it that long. But I think it gives credence to that one bar. I think he's referring to giving, him, uh, giving MGK a career before he destroyed it. So that might make that line a little bit more, uh, you know, strike it a little bit more at home because I, I guess that's what he did. He allowed MGK to kind of do his thing, get a little buzz going, uh, have a couple albums, I guess, get a little, you know, like I said, a little career, and then he here he is. Uh, like the Grim Reaper to, to come take it from him. So it was a very interesting battle. I, I definitely think MGK turned some heads. Uh, nobody was really expecting somebody to go at him like that. I don't really hear, or well, you've never really heard somebody just really just rip rip off on him and, and really hit him with some, with some uh, pretty stiff jabs. Uh, nobody's really done that. Benzino wasn't able to do it, he was trash. Cannabis wasn't able to do it at that point. He was trash in his career when he decided to be for him. So it was good. To hear, it was refreshing to hear somebody uh, really, you know, get to him. Even though I think Eminem won this battle, but uh, that's gonna be enough for tonight. Uh, when we come back, I'm gonna talk uh, about talk some NFL. I'm going to talk some three three things that I learned from week 3 and also three things that I want to well that I'm looking forward to finding out or that I want to know going into week 4. Uh definitely going to have a word on the street and uh we're going to talk some more uh baseball playoffs. So we're going to talk about the uh the matchups. Uh, more than likely, we're gonna be talking about the wild card first, and we'll go from there, y'all. So y'all have a good night. Once again, this is your man El Jamal, and you were just into never out- just tuned into never out of Bounce. Peace out. One love. Good night.